Welcome to the future of gaming. GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly podcasts. We have the usual crew together, and only us. We have Philip Collins, Devin Becker, and myself, Nico Vereke. Today, the past week, was a bit slow in the blockchain Web3 games world in terms of the future of games. Um, but we have seen some drama in the NFT marketplace world, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, OpenSea is making some pretty drastic changes, and so uh, we want to take the opportunity to talk about what they're changing, royalties, on-chain enforcements, um, the future of NFTs and marketplaces, whether those business models make sense. Creators, like there's a lot hanging on this in the whole Web3 world, um, so let's chat about that. All right, um, Devin, Phil, how are you guys doing? Good. Dying. Dying? Devin's <laughs> Dying a bit sick. from a cold. Yeah. Does that mean, Devin, that that you're going to talk less? No, it just means I have to put up a will for my NFTs. Okay. <laughs> you you don't yet have an on-chain NFT will that will no, distribute? No, that's something I need to work on. But yeah. I also need to make sure that like I decide how the royalties are distributed for that. Yeah. So what the are we getting, tax. Devin? Your, your folk got friends? Yeah, because I, I totally have like board apes and stuff, right? So. Yeah. I'm down for your. Um, what are you gonna have shit on of? Like some, some probably some, like uh, Web3 TCG card. Um, <laughs> I think you're mostly big... get crypto raiders. I'm sorry. Ah, crypto raiders. That's another. I feel like I'm gonna own like 50 percent of Splinterlands assets. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It. Those. Those. Yeah. That's definitely it. That's, that's where you're it. gonna get. Sorry. Good. All right. Some Skyweaver too. Um. So a bit of context around the today's um or like today's topic and, and this week's tweet by OpenSea, I think it makes sense to go back a little bit. We already discussed this a few months ago um, when we saw, I think it was Magic Eden or another Solana-based NFT marketplace who reduced, like who stopped enforcing creator fees. Mm-hmm. And so the way this worked was if you are a creator and you create an NFT collection, you could um, indicate creator fees that should be um, applied whenever one of your pieces or one of the NFTs from that contract, from that collection was sold. And so this was generally between 5 and 10%. And so if, if I would sell something for one ETH and the creator fee was 10%, then 0.1 ETH would go towards the creator. But the problem was that this was sort of a voluntary creator fee. And so this was not enforced on chain, which meant that if you sold this on OpenSea, so if you sold your NFT on OpenSea, then that creator fee would be withheld by OpenSea together with OpenSea's tax. So you would, in the end, I think if, if the creator fee was uh, 10%, I think it was 14 and a half. I think their fees were four and a half percent. Maybe it varied a bit. It's, it's somewhere along those lines. And so you would end up paying 14 and a half percent fees. And those would be go ten percent of that would go towards the royalty, and four and a half percent would go towards OpenSea. Um, and then we saw Magic Eden say, like, um, okay, we need to like we're struggling finding um, liquidity and volume, and we're we're going to reduce creator fees to zero, or we're going to make them op- them optional. Sorry, that's better. So now, as a seller, you had the option: do I want to have the ten percent creator fees on my sale or not? Which if you're selling and if you have the option, uh, like, let's be honest, right? I think most of the people in the Web3 world, a bunch of degenerates, are not going to be willing to, you know, 
tick a box that makes them feel good and is going to like give x percent of the sale of their assets to um to the original creator and when we talked about this we predicted that this was going to be erased upon mm-hmm. um and yay we can tap our pat ourselves on the back because it actually ended up being like that um and so what's the current states in november um a new marketplace a new nft marketplace saw the lights which is called blur if you go to blur.io, you can start and you connect to your MetaMask wallet. You can start trading all of your NFTs. And if you go to that website, you'll see that Blur is a marketplace made for traders, NFT traders. And so if you go there, you can get like charts and you can get a lot of data. Um, and so it's definitely made for people that are flipping NFTs, which is something that I like to go into after we discuss, you know, royalties, etc. Um, and so what happened today? So this was all like preamble. Um, Blur actually saw, I think, last week, Wednesday, larger volume, larger daily volumes than OpenSea for the first time. So they've been actually doing really well. So they launched in November, and in uh, last week, they had higher volumes on 24-hour period than OpenSea, which is, which is major. Now, one of the reasons for that is that they dropped their Blur token, which is similar to LooksRare. If you're familiar with that, so they dropped their token. Um, they airdropped their token. You could claim them. And so then there was a lot of... Um, Volume like that caused a lot of volume, which is why they beat out OpenSea. But still, the fact that they beat out OpenSea for 24 hours is pretty major. So OpenSea is feeling the competition. All right, there's some more context to give here. Sorry, guys, there's there's a lot of context here before I can really dive into. Um, I did some research, and so um, this is something that I actually missed. And I shouldn't have missed this, but OpenSea um, started or um, launched a operator filter on. Um, like an optional operator filter that you could use to add to the NFT collection that you create. And so that was their attempt at on-chain enforcement of NFT royalties. Mm-hmm. Basically what it did was you create your NFT, um, your, your NFT collection, and you would hard code a bunch of um, smart contracts inside of your your collection that would be that would be operator filters that would say that oh i my um, nft collection can be traded on this marketplace this marketplace this marketplace and this marketplace and these marketplaces were the ones that famously were known for um enforcing the the nft royalties so if you only allowed OpenSea to trade your NFTs, you would know that because OpenSea was to be tr- uh, trust, uh, trusted, they would enforce your royalties, and so you would still get your royalties, and people could not trade it on Magic Eden as, as an example because they didn't enforce your royalties. Um, and so they had this operator filter that you could um, opt into, but the problem was that, well, most of OpenSea's competition was actually not included in the operator filter, which means that if you use that, you couldn't, like your NFTs couldn't be traded on Blur, it couldn't be traded on, on Magic Eden and some of the other big NFT marketplaces that ultimately didn't fully enforce the creator royalties. Um, and so this this was their attempt at making sure that royalties would be enforced. Okay, so... I think that's enough context for their tweets. I'm going to quickly go through. I'm almost done ranting or talking, and then we, we can talk discuss about this. So OpenSea is making some big changes today. This is a tweet on the 17th of February. 
OpenSea fee, 0% for limited time. So this is the 4.5% uh, that I mentioned. Maybe this is lower today. I'm not 100% sure, but they're putting it at 0% because I think they want to drive back some volume um, to their um, to, to, to OpenSea itself. You, can, you guys can give your thoughts. They are moving to optional creator earnings with a 0.5% minimum for all collections without on-chain enforcement. So this is the big one. So what this means is that all collections that are not using the operator filter that we just discussed are moving towards optional creator earnings. Again, so this means that the seller, so if you're selling an NFT, you have optional creator earnings. So if the um, if the like the creator royalties are 10% and you don't want to pay 10%, you're only going to pay 0.5%. So this is this is the really, really, really big one. Um, all the new, which means that even if today you create an NFT collection without the operator filter, sellers on OpenSea will still have the option to opt out of creator uh, royalties. And then Marketplace with the same policies, this, sorry, in this point three of, of the big OpenSea announcement, announcement, Marketplaces with the same policies will not be blocked by the operator filter. So if... Um, if a marketplace, an NFT marketplace, is doing the same thing as OpenSea does in that uh, what we just mentioned, which is optional creator fee earnings with a 0.5% minimum, um, then they will all be allowed or not blocked by the operator filter that we talked about in the NFT contracts uh, before. So that's pretty big move. I'm going to stop talking now and uh, get your guys' thoughts. Who wants to go first? I have so many thoughts. So you so many thoughts, Phil. So okay, Phil goes first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is the definition of the race at the bottom that we talked about before. And it's really some of the first instances of competition that we've seen in this space where OpenSea was able to break out and develop such a, a competitive advantage from the beginning because what they had was trust. And early on, trust was good enough, right? I mean, the options out there, if you could buy and sell an NFT without really being concerned about getting scammed, um, that meant a lot to buyers and sellers on both sides. And so they were able to establish credibility, which is something that was extremely, extremely valuable in the Web3 space over the past couple of years. Um, credibility is, you know, kind of worth its weight in gold in this in this arena. Um, and yeah, we I think we've seen we've seen there's a couple levers we've always talked about on the on the marketplace side that are really relevant. The first is Exclusivity of content. If you're able to make sure that things are exclusively sold on your marketplace, then that will attract users. And B is the the fees and the the pricing of actually exchanging items on each marketplace. And I think that's the lever that we're really seeing pulled right now, where OpenSea is willing to cut its platform fee to zero percent, try to attract all of the users back to its platform, and inevitably will be will be forced to punch it back up once the users come back. So it's kind of like a little bit of a bait and switch where it's like, look how friendly we are to buyers and sellers. Look how easy we are to use as a platform. And as soon as they come back, it's not really sustainable for them to keep it at 0%. They're, they're going to they're gonna kick it back up and and uh, and try to monetize off of the, that user attention once it's, once it's back on the platform. So it's, it doesn't seem sustainable for OpenSea. Um, it's definitely like effectively a marketing tactic for them to try to get the attention back in their favor as these these more viable competitors pop up. But it can't be like this forever. I, I could sum up my thoughts in uh, one sentence here. Fuck these marketplaces. Um, <laughs> they're all going to do what's best for them. 
They're all mm-hmm. going to race to the bottom. They're all going to do none of this stuff is benefiting anyone but them. At the end of the day, the ten percent of a, like royalty, no one really cared about paying in the first place, right? Like if you're buying a like it's like tax. Like when you pay tax on sales tax in America, like it's like close to ten percent anyways. You just don't care. Like if you get ten percent off on something, you're like I don't even care. Like that's that's a meaningless amount basically when it comes to people that are trading this kind of stuff. So the idea that we're fighting over oh, this kind of stuff. How so, wait, a meaningless amount for people that are trading this kind of stuff. If I'm trading stuff and I want to make a profit, if I have right. to pay, pay 10% on every transaction every time I sell, that's not meaningless. If you're, if you're trying to make a profit, then don't have a middleman. Like if you're involving a middleman, you're you're going to be giving a cut over then. Like that at the end of the day, like you're going to be giving part of your cut over to someone as a middleman of that. Uh, you're paying for liquidity, right? Mm-hmm. That's, in, in theory, that, right? You're, you're playing for a marketplace. You're paying for sell, like buyers to be available to you. Like that's what you're paying for is access to buyers, right? And <clears throat> and I, I kind of hope we get past this whole like art market of things at some point and move into stuff that actually makes sense for NFTs instead of just people just slinging stuff back and forth hoping to find the better sucker that they can mm-hmm. make money off of. Because like that's what this is at the end of the day. It's like just trying to find yet another sucker. Like that whole make profit thing. How are you making profit off of this? Like. Like maybe you get in early on something, okay, right? That that might turn out to be cool. That's maybe like slightly a valid idea of profit. But other than that, you're basically just trying to find some other sucker to buy your thing for the most part. Like most of these NFTs, obviously there's exceptions. But at the end of the day, like uh, all these systems that are around like blacklisting or whitelisting marketplaces, problem is you're going to have to stay on top of that. You can't trust any of these marketplaces to stick by their word. Look how much – uh, OpenSea has waffled back and forth. Look how much Magic Eden has waffled back and forth. All of these are going to, at the end of the day, any nice move they make is a PR move. It's trying to keep people using their platform, not necessarily doing what's better for anyone else. And I, I'm not saying they're malicious, but I'm saying they're a business. It's a centralized thing. So at the end of the day, let's stop with the centralized stuff, right? Like the whole point of this decentralized stuff is to make it decentralized. That's why we have DEXs and the advantages of DEXs. Uh, we need to be doing the same kind of stuff where we're like enforcing on-chain royalties. We can have new standards. We don't have to stick to 721. We have lots of other options out there. The stuff that Limit Break put out is is a great start to that, right? Where it's like trying to say like there's different ways to apply these royalties. There's different ways to incentivize people to want to be part of that. There's there's lots of other alternatives other than saying let's just blacklist or whitelist marketplaces. That's it's just like the really shallow dumb way to do this and you see every single one of these marketplaces is just weaponizing that they're using it as a way to cut out competitors not as a way to enforce royalties that's just a lie like oh we want to just help make sure that all the royalty enforcement's there it's like no we want to make sure our our competitors are blacklisted is what it comes down to because we know they can undercut us there and that's where that's where they're worried about like this it's like as as phil said the whole like zero percent marketplace fees that's that's bs like when you go to this page they try and act like it's going to be a permanent thing too like when you go there they greet you with hello to, to say hello to zero percent fees like when you phrase it like that that makes it sound like it's a permanent thing like the way they phrase it when you go there but it's not it's it's just like hey let's try and quickly steal back the people from blur and so at the end of the day like i feel like marketplaces being centralized are uh, indirectly hostile to the environment. And I think, obviously, yeah, we want liquidity. We want people to be able to, like, find each other. We want safety in this stuff. But that's why we're trying to build these things on-chain. That's the whole point of the chain is safety and transparency. If we are not, if we don't have that yet, we need to build it. Instead of going, like, oh, let's all just make OpenSea do what we want. Like, they're not going to. Like, they're going to do what keeps them the relevant marketplace, what keeps the volume up, because that's what keeps investment up.
That's what keeps them fighting to be a platform. We've seen what happens to platforms in the rest of life and technology. They take over and they start being malicious once they have market share. Like, that's just what platforms do. That's the whole point of this Web3 stuff is we're supposed to be getting away from that. Uh, so just going back to that, like, that's just giving back the power. And I think creators, if they're not willing to say, hey, let's move to a new standard that enforces our royalties, then maybe they need to figure out a different business model and not go with royalties. But at the end of the day, like, let's not just rely on someone uh, trusting what we're going to do. This isn't a humble bundle where we're hoping that they're going to, like, check the box for, for charity. It's just not going to work. There's my rant. Rant over. Good. No, um, I, I, well, I agree with your points, although I wouldn't necessarily say, like, fuck these marketplaces. I think, you know, as you said, they're businesses and they have shareholders and, you know, they, in the end, everything I feel that's being done by these places is to drive liquidity and volume, right? That's what these marketplaces are competing over. They all want more sellers and more buyers transacting on their platform. OpenSea had an initial, um, like, first mover advantage. And it's clear that, like, honestly, like, it eroded, it got eroded away faster than I expected. And I think a big reason for that is bear market. Like, bear market and bull market dynamics for NFT trading are huge. Because if you're in a bull market and you just made a 3x on your NFT collection or, like, on your NFT that you're flipping you're not going to care about a, 10, a 5 to 10% royalty because you're already 3x up. In a bear market where, where you're like, you're down bad and you're like, oh, fuck, I, have to, I want to sell this, like you're going to look for the place that gives you most uh, bang for your buck. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that that's, I guess, an aside that's this whole discussion, we probably wouldn't be having it if it were, if it were still good times. Obviously, good times don't last, uh, especially in Web3 land. Um, bears, bear markets happen. Um when you say because you, you were you your point, uh, Devin, if I if I summarize it, is that decentralized NFT marketplaces or businesses and you know all everything that they do is in function of their own profitability. Um, we should go more decentralized. So for me, I would say that yes, these NFT marketplaces are centralized. Um, but for me, that they're like they're already a hybrid because a lot of what they're doing actually happens on like on chain. Um, and so I'd like to, for you to maybe describe how, what a decentralized NFT marketplace looks for you, because if you look at, you know, OpenSea versus, um, a Uniswap, like they both have a similar front end. They both do some things off chain and some things on chain. So like, could you describe for me what, what or is there an example of an, a fully, um, decentralized marketplace that you know of? I mean, I'm not sure about fully, fully decentralized, right? But the, the idea is like part of the thing we talk about all the time with Web3 is aligning incentives and stuff like that. And it's like it's not even really at the end of the day like volume and liquidity is what they're looking for. They're looking for their marketplace fee. At the end of the day, like maybe short term, they're willing to sacrifice stuff for market share. But at the end of the day, like where they make their money, where their business is driven towards, where the investment is for is to get that market share so they can get that marketplace fee. Uh, now, if there, there's different models around where marketplace fees can be something that is like a community oriented thing, like a DAO kind of thing and stuff like that around decentralized stuff. I'm not saying those are all the smartest idea either, but I think there are marketplaces that can act more like decentralized ones like Nifty Swap. That are, that are built around this idea of having different kinds of uh, ways of doing 
uh, NFT swapping and, and NFT trading. And it also d- depends on the, t- the target audience. So like uh, you were saying, like, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons that they lose market share so fast is the bull and bear market. I think it's not so much just the bull and bear market as the target audience. The audience right now is mostly flipping. They're mostly looking for profit. So yeah. they are going to be disloyal. They are going to not care about creator fees. The people that uh, do care about creators, they've already bought the NFTs and they're holding them. Therefore, the, the fees don't matter to them because they're not, they're not trading, they're not flipping, they're holding or using or whatever, right? And so it doesn't apply to them the same way. So the, the target audience really matters. If we're in a period where everyone's just speculative, speculatively trading, then exchanges and other things are going to be built around that. And, that. and that becomes this race to the bottom mentality because it's all financially driven at that point. Whereas if we're looking at game uh, NFTs, for example, and the marketplace isn't necessarily around just financialization, it's around trading or uh, finding things that you like, different different incentives, we can align those incentives better with either decentralized or centralized marketplaces. But right now, if everyone's just looking for that extra little cut of juice of, of profit and treating it like a, a stock exchange, then yeah, it's going to be a race to the bottom. It's going to be uh, I mean, until like some regulation steps in, it's just going to be just cutthroat and it, it might as well be like a wild west like that, because that's what happens when you have that kind of marketplace where everyone is looking for their edge and any kind of like, uh, you know, PR stuff is PR stuff where they're just trying to like say what people want to hear to try and keep people on the platform. I'm not saying OpenSea are a bunch of assholes, but I'm saying their incentives are aligned a certain way, and they're they're not going to change because, as you said, they have shareholders, they have investors, they have people that are looking for that long term market share. There's no reason for them to be a charity, and I don't expect them to be. Uh, but this this kind of thing is not going to stop here. This is not the first time. This is not the last time. This is going to keep going on until we either enforce it on chain, which is the point of all of this stuff, uh, or we just uh, move on to some other standard or something and, and move away from these uh, for different types of NFTs. We also need to stop lumping all NFTs into one group. Art NFTs are different than PFPs per se, are different than game NFTs, are different than like ticket NFTs for an event. Like we need to start actually separating these things a little better because the technology could potentially work differently. It doesn't have to be the same. We don't need to use 721 for every single type of thing, the same reason we have 1155s, for example. And I know there's tons of standards proposed, but until we get like serious traction in one area with one standard, like it's probably not going to change. But I think we need to start thinking outside of this flipping mentality uh, towards other things. And maybe the bear market is a perfect time to do so, where we're stopping thinking so profit-centric and we're in build mode. How does this play out, Phil, do you think? I think we're going to see a lot more experimentation. Like that That's really what the centralized nature of, of these exchanges is allowing them to do is, you know, try different business models and see what works. And, I mean, I think we've seen OpenSea do this a few times now where they're able to optimize in, in certain times for monetization of each transaction. And times like now, they're they're able to optimize for just transaction volume and and attention on their own platform. And so I think we'll continue to see a little bit more of a spiral and race to the bottom where everyone's just trying to, to really find the right, like triaged value between value for creators, value for traders, and then value for themselves as platforms. Um, And everyone's kind of looking for like the, the perfect balance of those few things. And of course, as a platform, the only reason you care about 
value of creators and value of traders is how it derivatively benefits you and, and your top and bottom line. And it seems like everyone's just really looking for that point. Um, I think something we've talked a lot about in the past as it relates to wallets is, you know, the stickiness of wallets is probably going to be rooted in rewards, almost maybe like a credit card like system where you're actually incentivizing people to stay more with the carrot than the stick. And it seems like right now, a lot of the NFT marketplaces are really trying to like use the stick of going from being punitive or quote unquote punitive to these platforms um, to now pretending like they're giving you a carrot by just wiping, wiping these fees. Um, but I think we'll just have to have to see them find more compelling ways to benefit the constituents of their platforms rather than purely just focus on the cost basis of making a trade and making sure that it is sticky and there is a reason that you want to keep your asset there. And for all we know, that could just be the eyeballs and maybe this will be the best thing OpenSea ever does by by making it a no-brainer to try to come trade on their platform. And once you come, you just kind of don't go back. But... I think we'll need to see more carrots as well. And, and I think we'll inevitably see more creative ways of, of compelling users to become open C, you know, customers. Hmm. Interesting. So um, the way I think about this is that, well, I, I agree. I think like, I don't think a non-enforceable on-chain fee is, ever going to like keep living up because um i think for the foreseeable future there's going to be too much flipping and the the focus is still going to be on on making profits because mm -hmm. it feels like that's what 95 percent of, of of people are are doing these days and especially the the people that are actually selling or, or trying to sell to make profit and so um you know this as we predicted continues to be a race to the bottom so I'm, I'm interested in OpenSea's attempt to have on-chain enforcement of royalties. And the way they do that is by essentially centralizing, right? They say mm -hmm. only you can only trade these collections on, on these specific marketplaces, which is obviously super risky, right? Because, well, yeah, they... they this is something that I, I, I don't see. I don't think this is the viable solution in the long run. Um, and so we have discussed this before, right? We were thinking about how we would exactly do this, but we need decentralized, enforceable on-chain royalties. So royalties where you, I create a collection, I say 5% royalties, and no one anywhere can sell these royalties, uh, sell their assets or their NFTs without paying me 5%. And I don't know, like, there are some, like, immediately you, you, you understand that there's a lot of complications there, right? Because, you know, you can, you can barter, like, what if you sell one NFT for another NFT? Like, where does the 5% come from? Or what if I just want to transfer an NFT from one of my wallets to another one of my wallets? So there's a lot of complications. Um, I think there's ways to, ways to overcome these, but we need to, I, I think that's, that's the end game here. Um, and Interestingly, now seeing what OpenSea did with their operator um, filter, which is how they currently enforce NFT royalties, which is essentially like in a business sense, a smart move, right? Because they make it so like, oh, if you're a creator and you really want to have operator royalties, then use our smart contract and there we're whitelisted. And so they're essentially like limiting the competition by cutting mm -hmm. out some of their, their, um, 
the the competitors out of that you know the, the filtered list so um I guess my conclusion is that this is not super surprising. I think this just starts a race to the bottom. I think we'll probably see NFT. So there's royalty fees and forced royalty fees, and there's marketplace fees. So the marketplace marketplace fees by from OpenSea have been set to zero. I think we'll also see those converge to zero, especially in bear market territory. They're not going to be zero, right? But they're going to be low because mm-hmm. operating a marketplace is not very expensive. And so, like, yeah, I think... Um, I think we'll, we'll see those go down. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we'll see quite a few more like aggregators pop up. So there's, there's, there's already a few websites where you can go and you can see all collections from OpenSea, Blur, Magic Eden, and all the other marketplaces um, that are being put up for sale. And then um, finally, I think we, we still need, as, as you mentioned, Devin, we need new on-chain standards where creators can enforce royalties because I, I think royalties are a viable and necessary way for creators to monetize. And the problem is that we're like, whenever you talk about this, it's like, no, because people make more money from primary sales. And so the moment you say that royalties are a good way to monetize, people think that royalties are the only way to monetize. And I guess, you know, and I've said this like dozens of times on this podcast by now, we, because we now have a way to ensure scarcity of the internet, we now have a way to trustlessly and in a decentralized way transact value very granularly through things like NFTs and fungible tokens, we have new ways to monetize, ways that couldn't exist before. And all of these ways are viable. Just like in the games industry, there are companies making money through subscriptions, there are companies making money through in-app purchases, there are companies making money through um, advertisements, and there are companies making money through box sales, right? There's different ways of monetization. All of them are viable for different products. And for NFTs, we'll see the same thing, right? Devin, you made a categorization of different types of NFTs, gaming NFTs, art NFTs, profile picture NFTs. We will likely see some of them um, have monetization through royalties and others will have different ways of monetization. And so, um, like, but I think royalties are a viable way to, to monetize and we need to be able to, like, a creator needs to be able to trust that whenever their creations are sold, they'll receive a share of that. Yeah. I'm not uh, sure I fundamentally agree with the idea of royalties um, for one big reason, which is oh, what they're making money primarily off of which is secondary market transactions. If you are making something of quality that people want, that people buy via primary sale and want to keep, you're not going to make money off royalties because there's no royalties to be had because people are keeping what, what you sell to them. Like that is like if I, if the buy value proposition is enough that you want to keep my thing, why are you selling it? It, it doesn't become a used good. It doesn't diminish in durability and you sell it because it's like, I don't need it anymore necessarily. Now there's that idea of secondhand goods, like selling for cheaper, right? But the idea that you, you should be primarily driving your profit. Like, yeah, like you said, it doesn't have to be the only source of profit, but if your main source of profit is people selling to each other, what are you incentivizing? You're incentivizing profit flipping. Because that's the main reason people are going to trade to each other is because there's some sort of profit to be had or they're done with the good. Now, I'm not saying there isn't viable ways to like sustainably set it up so that uh, using a good for a period of time and then trading it to someone else makes sense. But at the same time, you think about what you're incentivizing, why you would incentivize that, whether or not that's actually a good thing for your 
ecosystem or whether you're just getting people to sell again to the to the next sucker. Uh, and that's a big big problem is we don't necessarily really align why people are selling things with why there's a royalty in the fee in the first place. We just think, hey, a creator should benefit from other people making profit off of secondary sales. That's what we're thinking is we're like, hey, if they're making profit off of – like, oh, I didn't make a great uh, amount off my primary sale and people are making profit off my secondary sale, I should get a cut of that because they're making profit there. But that's a profit-driven motive, and that's a situation – that's more of an art kind of world thing where people are, are like flipping these things to other suckers and stuff. That That's a very art centric mentality. Whereas I don't think that necessarily always makes sense for games, depending on the game's model, whether or not trading, for example, is part of it. Let's say people are generating NFTs in the game and they want to be trading those because it's a, it's a good they're trading. That makes sense because it's a trade market and you're taking a trading fee essentially for that. And that is a situation where like, I think the incentives align, but I think we need to think about where we're placing these royalties, whether or not they actually make sense there or if we're just trying to get a, get a chunk of everyone's trades at the end of the day. And I, I don't think it so, always makes sense. So you're agreeing with my points? I am. I just make, it, make, make it the point that, like, let's also think about royalties and not just slap them on everything. I think that's fair. But I would say that I think royalties, like, make I, – I can already give you five examples where royalties still make sense, even without – assuming that people will be selling it for profit. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, a, a, like a franchise model is, is one example where there's a fully capped amount of slots and, you know, people will want to, like, there, there's other than profit reasons why people will want to part ways with the asset that they hold, which is a franchise slot, as one example. Yeah. Another example could be, you know, I, I can see a game live where there's only 10,000 copies of the game existing see, the at the same time. All of these models depend on the artificial scarcity, though. Well, so what? I mean, like, well, you, can, saying, you, can, like you, can, you can probably build, you can probably build an interesting game around, oh, there's only 100 copies of this. And so only 100 people can be playing this game at the same time. And if you want to pass, if you want to, if, if you've played the game, if you finish the game, you're going to sell it. Right? Like, I can see an interesting game being built around that. And so my right. point is I, that... I just don't like the direction of let's force everything to be artificially scarce just for the sake of driving up value, not for the sake of it actually making sense. I think yeah, that's a I, big and, problem. And agreed. Agreed. I, okay. Cool. We're, I guess we're saying, saying the same thing. Um, okay. Yeah. We, 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 can, we can pause this. Or maybe Phil wants to, wants to put something spicy and, and <laughs> disagree with the two of us, you know? Yeah. Get in there, Phil. No, I mean, I think I, I agree. Like, I, I don't like artificial scarcity but i mean scarcity will have a place in gaming right i mean just like in in traditional collectibles the value of something is is kind of the function of scarcity and desirability right where those two things really drive a lot of value and i think that all kind of boils down to the sense of status which we see often in video games and flexing and the 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 prominence of wanting to show off your digital identity and so i think as we as we've seen a lot of a lot of game NFTs, that's, that's kind of the function. It's to show status. And by limiting that, that quantity, um, you're kind of promoting that desirability. And so there's this like natural value accrual that's happening there um, that is, is both intentional and also market driven. Um, So I, uh, I don't think everything needs to be scarce, but when there is scarcity, I think I understand the 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 vision for royalties being implemented yeah. because honestly a lot of a lot of game companies are probably really scared about the trade-off of the lost value of of primary sales being infinite where you can just continuously sell the same replicated skin 
for $25 versus having 10,000 of these skins and hopefully the the secondary market volume offsets the losses and the 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 primary sales. So so yeah, I think you know there's, there's a place for it, but I don't think everything needs to be scarce. Um that's that's just not not It's the weird to imagine a world where like video games instead of like let's say I go on Steam and there's like 10,000 copies of a game and that's it. And if I want a copy of that game, I have to wait till someone else is done and they want to sell it to me on the, on the Steam Marketplace so Steam can get their cut of that. Devin. It's just so weird. Devin, you're thinking too skeuomorphically, all right? But that's exactly what we're already doing with NFTs that gate access. But We've already that, done that. You can't really do that with a multiplayer game either because that's almost going to be like a virtual land issue where you're going to have right. player liquidity problems. And of those 10,000 players, how many are going to be on at the same time? Guys, stop it. You – yeah. I, so I'm not the one thinking this stuff. This Dude. is the way people are acting about it. That's my problem. It's <laughs> like this. It's other people doing this dumb stuff. That's what I'm like anticipating I'll, is other people doing dumb Nico, stuff like this. I want to hear why Nico thinks we're we're both yeah. being very why are we so skeuomorphic. skeuomorphic. Yeah, that, that's like my my um, buzzword. The buzzword, but it's like if you're annoying me, I'm just gonna call you skeuomorphic. Right? <laughs> Get out of here, uh, skeuomorphic. <laughs> yeah, go go somewhere else. This is not a podcast for skeuomorphic thinking. Um, <laughs> Maybe we should call this the, the non skeuomorphic podcast or something. We got to stop calling it a podcast, and that's, that that name is too skeuomorphic. That's true. That's true. We need to find referring to iPod, and we're not on the iPod anymore. So, <laughs> no. I'm, so what I'm saying is, um, you know, th- saying like, oh, having only limited copies of a game exist right now um, on Steam like doesn't make sense. And I agree. If you look at any game on Steam, it doesn't make sense at all, right? I'm just saying, like, I, I've we've actually. Uh, I think in our Discord already hypothesized about like a game where oh you finish it and then the, the like some part of your gameplay remains in the game that you then sell on that someone <laughs> else can play that they then like are influenced by like there's a tons of ways where this can work but it just like you can't point at an existing game and say like, ah, this is how it will work just because we now have this fundamentally new technology where we can do new things. And what we just described, like what I just described as an example, is probably not going to make sense or it's yeah. not going to be done in the near future because I, I'm not aware of anyone building it. Uh, but I'm Jason just saying Rohr that... did an experiment like that with uh, GDC that he... Mm. There was a pretty big thing with a Minecraft world that was like okay. passed from person to person. Just as a reference if people want yeah, to Yeah, yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, m- my point being that... Um, I agreed that looking at existing games today, today, this is not going to make sense. Similarly to, you know, royalties don't make a lot of sense for games today. But I'm I'm pretty sure that in the future we'll have games that are built around royalties where it does make sense. And I think building big economies kind of already fits that bill. I do think, mm-hmm. like, if you can build a game like EVE Online and it's just completely free to play, but you take a tiny fraction of every transaction... Um, in, in the economy, I, th- I think that somewhere makes sense because in the end, there's still value creation within the game, which is the fun and people are willing to put money in because then they can advance faster and can do more cool shit. Um, yeah. I guess, too, because we're all saying like, oh, this will exist um, and, you know, it's also like an interesting way to monetize, but, you know, there's also other ways to monetize. My question for you guys is um, a discussion could have been had 12 years ago or maybe a little bit more ago where... Um, th- it was a sort of free-to-play versus maybe boxed sales type of discussion, mm-hmm. right? Where people were like, oh, no, free-to-play it doesn't make sense, right? And there were like yep. th- these two camps and we have these similar dynamics going on right now. Um, and a bet could have, the ma- could have been made then, which was, 
What's going to drive most revenues? Is it going to be free-to-play dynamics with in-app purchases, freemium uh, types of, of, of approaches, or maybe even like um, ads? Or is it going to be boxed sales? Um, I'm actually like pretty sure that, you know, more than 50% would have probably pointed at boxed sales. Depends on when, right? Because Depends on if we're talking pre-horse armor or after horse armor, Exactly, right? yeah, the good old Skyrim horse armor. Um, and so I guess my question for you guys is, in terms of, let, let's try to put a number on it. In terms of um, overall gaming revenue, royalties, what percentage will royalties be? Is this, or maybe give us a range. Is this less than 5%? Is this between 5 and, and let's say 20% or more than 20 I think these are, are maybe interesting ranges to talk about. Perhaps you disagree and then you think it's like, oh, it's either 1% or 2%. I don't know. Just... Uh, I see both of you thinking very deeply. I mean, okay, Devin, go ahead. I, I guess so. It's, it's it's a similar problem to the free to play thing, right? Where when you think about royalties, you're thinking about okay, I'm now I'm competing with my own primary sales, right? But you, I guess you would have thought the same thing about free to play. You're like, why am I giving away the game for free? I'm competing with my boxed sales, right? And so it is kind of a similar situation where like it seems counterintuitive where you'd be like why would i do this why would i try and get other people to sell to each other when i could just sell directly to each of those people individually like i'm cannibalizing my own sales and so i think if we could figure out a model that makes sense similar to what we do with free to play which was actually really built around live ops and adding content and selling that content individually and was more based around dlc than it was around the box model then I think we, yeah, if we could find a way that trading makes a lot more sense in the game, then I could see it being like dominating the model. As long as liquidity and trade volume makes sense for that to be facilitated, as long as the marketplace wars get to a point where like it makes sense and we're not constantly fighting over this stupid stuff, then yeah, I think Devin, that could take over. Okay, so your answer is, let's say, more than 25%. I think it could be. If if we could figure out a business model similar to what we did with free-to-play versus boxed, <laughs> yeah, but then I think it I mean, could be. My question is not – yeah, obviously, if we can make yeah. it work, and of, of course, right? If the biggest the, the, game in the yeah, world – Okay, let's just say yes, yes. Well, okay, people okay, figure okay, it out. Okay. They're money motivated, so yes. Okay, we're going to figure it out, and it's going to be more than 25%. Phil? Yeah, okay. I was, I was kind of thinking in the same realm of we're assuming that Web3 gaming takes off and secondary trading is actually an important part of the average the average business model. The first number that came into my mind was twenty to thirty percent, um, and I'm just, I'm thinking purely off of keeping primary sales, where as a as a game maker, you're effectively keeping one hundred percent of that, um, and assume that royalties land somewhere between like two and a half and five percent in perpetuity, and each asset gets flipped a few times. Um, you know, I could I could see I could see some of these studios making primary sales plus twenty five percent. Um, of the primary price, uh, depending on how many times it gets flipped on average. So I don't know. I was thinking 20 to 30%. I'd say if you're Gabe though, you're thinking primary sales are dead too. Like, uh, the, the idea is, uh, you know, the, the, the free to own and all that stuff is yeah. the idea is that, uh, similar to free to play where you're ditching the box model, giving away the game for free. I think you're thinking the same kind of thing. Now, I don't know if necessarily the business model is based around royalties. Cause of course we don't know anything about what they're building necessarily, but uh, he's already talked about even like different royalty models and things like that, obviously put out yeah. the smart contracts. So obviously royalties are are some kind of fact, right? And trading things around is a factor. He releases limited selection or li- limited collections and there's like trading and minting of those and all that stuff. They've already made, I guess, not profit, but they've made some revenue off of royalties. And so maybe we do just eventually shift to a model where you get a lot more initial traction and velocity 
by giving them away for free. And I think Gabe's point, which is that at some point, attention again becomes a problem, right? So discoverability with box games becomes a problem. So what do you do? You make it easier for people to try the game with yeah. free, right? Same with shareware was a big pioneering thing. So I think maybe free to own in the sense of like giving out free NFTs or making the NFTs uh, acquirable for free in the game, a game that is free to play. And then the secondary market then handles uh, a profit. Maybe that does take over. Maybe we ditch primary sales just because of discoverability, competition, things we have to deal with in terms of getting people into the market. That, that is a pretty interesting view of the next iteration of free-to-play where we're no longer just giving you the game and then feeding you sales of assets. We're giving you the game. We're giving you the assets. And then you all go figure out what these are worth to yourselves. And maybe like that's kind of Gabe's strategy of really unlocking the next level of whales where he wants people selling his assets for quarter million dollars, million dollars, because it's just free market and the desirability is determined by the crowd. And there's no like, there's no base anchor price where, oh, I bought this skin for $50. Now I'm going to trade it for 75. It's you all go figure out what this is worth. And that would be kind of a radical transition, but an interesting evolution of free to play. I think going back to something you were saying before, Nico, the the thing that gets me most excited about web three gaming (laughs) is actually the fact that while some of what we talk about doesn't apply to games today, it almost is going to force creativity in the way games are built and designed to kind of align with these economic models. And we, we saw that with free to play last time around, right? Like the prominence of forever games today is, is in part because you have to make it make sense to give away a game for free and keeping somebody in there for 10 to 15 years is the most effective way to monetize. And you can monetize those users to an extent that box sales never could have done. And I think we will see a lot of, People that are far more creative than me think of interesting ways to make these models that we're talking about work. And that, that's, that's one of the most exciting things about this, this entire space that we're operating in. And I think sometimes it does get lost that not all of this makes sense for games today. And maybe the, the value of just owning an NFT doesn't really matter. And if you just stick it on to League of Legends, which seems to be the frame of mind that we often default to, but, you know. If you think of different social hierarchies you can build within games, there's some there's some pretty cool stuff that can be done. So that's that's what keeps me optimistic a lot of the time. I feel like the framework overall to think about this stuff is market competition, whether it's talking about the marketplaces or games in general. Because you look at the evolution of games, right? The way we had to evolve to free-to-play because we needed to get people playing our games. And it got to the point, if you look at the current state of the mobile free-to-play market, we're buying players at this point. We're literally saying, can we make enough profit to afford to buy players? So not only are we are we competing to give away our game for free, we're actually spending money just to give away a game for free at this point. So it's always these market competition forces, whether like the the way the discussion started around marketplaces and having to compete for that market share, games are going to have to do the same thing. So if you always think in that framework of like, at some point, everyone copies each other, right? And so whatever marketplace it happens to be will always become crowded if it's successful. If it's not successful, well, it gets cold, right? Evolution mm-hmm. style. And so if this stuff is successful, then what is going to be the thing that helps you stand out enough to, to like compete with the rest of the market? And how much do you have to like sacrifice your own stuff and then find another way to make money? And so I guess that's where royalties do fit into this conversation is go, okay, well, I sacrifice this one thing in order to make money somewhere else. And so yeah. if you're thinking from that kind of framework, royalties make sense as, well, here's some way I'm allowed to sacrifice primary sales in a way that I could still be financially viable. 
It's interesting how 20 minutes ago I was arguing for greater royalties and you were like, ah, no, it's not that important. And now you're like, oh, it's going to be 20 to 30 percent of global gaming revenue. Um, now there's extra context, man, okay? <laughs> it's yeah. nuance. Nico, so, we're talking about the future. We're, we're going to yeah. evolve even over our 45-minute conversation. That's true. True non-skeuomorphism. It'll like, be we're a not thinking 10 years ahead. We are thinking 20 years ahead, man. Um, I would – so you guys got me thinking. So my initial answer to the question like what percentage of the global gaming revenue will be taken up by royalties was going to be – I would say – Initially, I thought around 10%. Um, but so for me, there's two ways in which these make sense. I think royalties make sense um, in the, the the types of non-skeuomorphic games that we described earlier, um, where, you know, like being able to sell the game is like part of the gaming experience in some way, right? And so, but I think that that's going to be very niche. And so the big way in which royalties will if royalties ever become a major way in which gaming companies actually monetize, I think that will be through very big open economies. Like imagine World of Warcraft times 10 open economy. And there's a, and I don't think we're, we're talking, we're not, we're not going to be talking even single, maybe we are talking single digits percentage fees, but it's going to be pretty low. Like it's not going to be 10%. I think the very big economy, um, like that will literally rival, like nation state economies will probably see um let's say between um a 0.5 and a 1% uh, sorry 0.5 and a 5% royalties on every single transaction so even if you you know sell a piece of cloth for you know what is it like a tiny amount of of in-game currency then um you'll pay just a tiny fee on that and and no one will really notice uh but because the game is just so huge and everyone's in it um the the creator of the game will will monetize that way and so if we live in a future where you know, one of these games really pops off, like um, 5X Fortnite pops off, then I can I can imagine that royalties will be a significant part of, uh, of global gaming revenue. Yeah, it's just a question whether or not that's the business model or something else, right? Like, I think they're... Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. we need to find something, some way to deal with the fact that primary sales are tricky, right? Yep. Like I said, they, they, it becomes a bottleneck for getting new customers, and so we start to look like that whole UA conversation that we had last episode, you know, like I said, about about where we're going to with UA and like to the point where we're having to trick people with fake ads just to get them to install it, you know, like it's it's getting hyper competitive as it probably should be. Right. Like that helps cool stuff out. But the business models have to evolve each thing, each time it gets competitive like that. We have to then go, OK, well, now we need to rethink this business model. And uh, yeah. I don't know if royalties are it necessarily, but I think there's obviously some potential there, right? Like that, and that's that's where it's kind of like I, I do agree with you that that they have potential, Nico. I just don't know if they're it because they incentivize certain things. And so I think if we could find like the right way to do them, then I think they do make sense. I just don't know if we've done that yet. So I don't yeah. I don't think I don't think where the current state of where things are makes sense to me. But I think maybe a few de- years down the road, it all totally makes sense. Then, so I guess I'll. Put it that way. It's like timeline-wise, right now is kind of just a little degenerate, uh, which I'd like to see evolve. Yeah. And like the marketplaces, we're going to see games teams experimenting with all of this stuff. And like free-to-own is is a good example of this where, to something Devin <clears throat> mentioned earlier, 
we went from box sales, which were high friction, to free to play, which was low friction. But now that everything's so low friction, it's almost high friction again because everything's so accessible. And so maybe the next step is we're not only going to give you the game for free, we're going to give you something that could be valuable for free as well. And because of that, you're going to choose our free game because not only is it zero expected value for you, it's actually positive expected value from the first time you ever open it up. So. That might be cheaper than spending money on ads to buy customers, right? Yeah. Like that's maybe that's a cheaper form of UA. I, I imagine it probably has been for Limit Break for what their strategy is, is looking at it as a UA play. And like we've talked about things like vampire tax and other ways of like looking at NFTs and giving away free NFTs as user acquisition. So like at the end of the day, I think there's absolute validity in the strategy of NFTs as a user acquisition model by giving mm-hmm. them away. And we see people doing it for scams all the time too with airdrops, stuff like that. Obviously blur just did it with their token, right? Like where they're like, Hey, let's, let's, let's pull a looks rare and just like steal customers via a token excitement, which who knows? I haven't looked into their token, but I imagine that's probably some kind of dumb unsustainable model. They almost always are, but, uh, you know, it's it's UA plays. Like at the end of the day, like attention's limited, population's limited. We have to do something to to be to get market share. And games are going to be even more in a place like that where it's where it's really competitive to try and get people. Like right now, we're in a place where like there's so few games to play in Web three that it's like, hey, if you made something that's half decent, cool, you're you're already halfway there. But at some point, you know, it's like early uh, mobile, right? Where it's like if you made something halfway decent, it's pretty easy to get that ninety nine cents. But uh, you know, nowadays, try and launch something on the App Store without, like, millions of dollars behind it. Good luck. I think my, my final observation, you know, you, you guys talking sparked another insight, I think, is that the the monetization defines the game. Meaning that yep. there are very few games that could be monetized either through primary sales or through uh, subscription or through you know, in-app purchases, etc. So depending on the way you monetize, that will define the the game in itself. And so trying to figure out the most successful monetization tactic or way of monetization moving forward, actually the 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 answer to that question is for that monetization tactic, the kind of game that fits best, like what types of games will be most successful in the future? And so, so the point is you have different monetization styles, different games that are best suited to those. And so the question is not necessarily what monetization way is best. The, 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 the question is actually what game resulting from the monetization style will be most successful. Um, so I guess that's that's my my final observation. I, I kind of have an answer to that to some extent. So right now, like um, you know, I talk about like trading card games and other things that have secondary markets. I don't think those are actually well suited to that future because they don't do anything interesting with that secondary market. You're selling a card you just don't want. The idea of selling something you just don't want, I think, is too simplistic for that. I think we need reasons for people to exchange stuff with each other more than just not wanting something or someone else desiring something more than you. Things like that. We need to start looking at why changing hands matters in some way and evolving so like i know limit break was trying to do interesting stuff with like combining the nfts and like burning them and stuff i still feel like that's a little rudimentary but it gets to this idea of like transforming where people uh, 
in this secondary market flow are doing more than just owning and disowning. There's something happening in this value flow that changes this thing or there's a reason for it to change hands. And I don't know what like the concrete answer to that is, but I think that's where we need to start thinking is like if we want value flow to happen from exchanging things, from, from selling and trading and royalties and stuff like that, then we need to think about like that why that exchange is meaningful and not just because it's a, a marketplace. And I think if you start to go down that path and come up with some really interesting answers, then maybe you'll be ahead of the curve on that. Fantastic. Good. All right. This was um, a really fun episode. Thank you, guys. Good discussion. Um, obviously, we didn't invent many new things here, but um, I at least learned things from you. So appreciate that. So, Devin, Phil, thank you for joining me. Listener, you most of all, thank you for listening or watching. Wherever you're listening or watching this, um, if you liked it, feel free to give us a like and subscribe. That's always very much appreciated. If you want to join this conversation, if you have your own thoughts, uh, we have a special channel in our Discord called What is Podcast Discussion? Um, if you want to tell um, Devin and Phil that they're wrong, feel free to come do so. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope um, to, uh, to see you in the Discord and look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Ciao.